Hi, welcome to the Mom Chief of Everything podcast with Dr. Jeanette DeWitt. This is the podcast where we talk about how to achieve time freedom and optimal health so you as a mom can reduce your risk of a health scare and create fun family memories without breaking the bank. I am your hostess, Dr. Jeanette DeWitt, owner of DeWitt Physical Therapy and Wellness, where I help moms and their families feel better faster in my office or through the online convenience of their smartphone. I am a married mom with two daughters. I am also a physical therapist, athletic trainer, and fitness nutrition coach. Before we start today's episode, I want to let you know about my free Facebook group called Mom COE. I do a live training in the group each week to empower moms and tackle the challenges we moms face every day. This group is where you can ask me questions personally and I will give you customized feedback. You can also find me on YouTube at my channel, Jeanette DeWitt, where I create videos to express gratitude, teach exercise tips, and discuss tips to relieve aches and pains. If you are interested in those, then request to join the Facebook group and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Let's get started with today's episode. Greetings, everyone. Today, I want to welcome Donna Brindell to the Mom Chief of Everything podcast. Donna is a cancer survivor of eight years and a post-abortive woman of 28 years. She is also one of the most fascinating women I know because not only is she the executive director of 2361 and a senior chaplain at International Fellowship of Chaplains, but she is also a volunteer firefighter, a former water skier with the Aquanauts, and a former Mrs. Kenosha County of Wisconsin. Donna, you have so many areas of interest. What are your top three favorites or the three that you are most passionate about? Okay, this was really hard for me to summarize. I have to kind of categorize my top three interests because I have so many. And I also, I don't just categorize these interests for answering questions like this with you or other people, but really on a daily basis, I have to categorize my interests in order to stay prioritized and what's important in my life. So my top three interests are my faith, my family, and then my work. So my faith is my foundation. And um, I'll tell you more about that when I go to my story in a few minutes. But also, I've developed a prayer process over the years to help me stay grounded and stay connected to God moment by moment, day by day. And then I also have uh, my own kind of study process that I do um, in the Bible, but also with um, different resources like blueletterbible.com to help me study for sermon preparation and different topics that come up just in daily life or in our culture. And then I also am constantly analyzing and applying things that I see on a daily basis to the, through the lens of my faith. So my faith is my biggest area of interest. And then my family, um, raising my children, not just to be happy and healthy, but to raise them to be um, strong, healthy adults, from childbirth, from a very young age, um, you know, emotionally, spiritually, financially, um, sexually even. Um, and that all starts at a very young age and very being very um, purposeful in, in the way that I ra- have raised them and, and I continue to, to work on that. And my, my marriage, working on my marriage um, constantly <laughs> and then learning about having a healthy marriage for myself also helps me to help other people in my ministry and my work. 
which leads me to my work, my third area of interest and passion, which is the, my 2361 ministry, firefighting and EM, EMT, um, also, you know, writing and speaking and preparing to do sermons in the prison and things like that. So uh, that's my easiest nutshell that I can give. <laughs> That, like I said, you are one of the most fascinating people because you are very, very well grounded and you, yet you are doing so many things, not just for your family, but for the community. Can you share a bit about your story and why you became so passionate in those three areas? So maybe share your story about your faith, about um just trying to raise a family and then also how you just you came about pursuing 2361 and the firefighting you know what's your story basically (laughs) again I'll try to make this into the smallest nutshell I can so my parents were separated when I was conceived and they eventually divorced by the time I was around five years old and then I was I witnessed domestic violence between them during those years from a very young age and then I was in a foster care situation where I wasn't it wasn't with the government foster care system but I lived with a woman that my parents met from the ages of about four to five then I went back to my mom and she lived with her for a few years until that we had our second house fire that we were in and she died in that house fire then there was a custody battle between my dad and my brother where my, my dad won the custody battle, which turned out to be really good, even though we wanted to live with our brother. But because our, our dad, we hadn't seen him very much and he was like a stranger to us and he was scary too from that domestic violence we witnessed. But he stepped up to the plate, he became a great dad. We got to know him really well. He um, taught us to water ski, took us to the ski show, which led us to eventually be on the ski show. And I, I have to remember to say, or explain why I say us all the time. It's my twin sister and I. Okay. Uh, that's why I say us. <laughs> so, then, so then, you know, I started dating and uh, got engaged, uh, became pregnant, and then I um, had an abortion, which I was coerced into by a family member, and then I eloped, and then we had our public wedding, and then um, all of that trauma through all of my life, I had periods of stability, especially when I was with that foster family, that woman who became like a grandma to us, um, but overall not a lot of stability so being in this new marriage I went I'm a bookworm I love books I went to the library to find a book on how to fix my husband (laughs) and and I found a book God brought me to a book to show me how to fix me and that book had uh, the sinner's prayer in it it had the gospel in it that I hadn't heard all those years growing up and going to lots of different churches so I received Jesus and then that just started that passion and that that burning desire to know God and to know him better. And then all of um, that craziness of my childhood, the craziness of my husband's childhood, led us to um, be really purposeful in our raising of our children and in our marriage. Um, And then starting the nonprofit, uh, 2361, came out of my own healing from my abortion. Um, I went to a retreat in 2007 with a friend of mine, and that friend is the first person I ever shared with that I had had an abortion. Uh, and the reason I was able to share that with her is because she, she shared that with me, which I had never heard from anyone before. So that was the beginning of my healing. And then she and I volunteered at this retreat that we went to every year. And then I became a director of, of the Crisis Pregnancy Center near us. 
And then um, we began doing this ministry through the pregnancy center. And then things happened with management there and they discontinued a lot of ministries, including ours. So we had a meeting um, at my house, uh, a handful of us around our table, um, discussing and praying about whether we were gonna kind of conclude this season of our life and move on and stop doing the abortion healing or start our own nonprofit organization so we could keep it going. And obviously we, we did choose the road of starting our own nonprofit so we could keep it going. And that process took uh, about six months to a year to get incorporated and get our 501c3 approved. And um, in 2015, that process was done and then we were just kind of off and running and doing this new ministry on our own which um, was scary, but also a huge opportunity for growth and doing, venturing into a lot of places we weren't able to be in before, like the prison and mm-hmm. going to Guatemala to do a retreat and things like that. So just kind of stepping out in faith, God has allowed us to do a lot of amazing things. Wow. That's all I can say. I, I mean, just, just to watch really a transformation to see how God worked in your life and placed people in your life and then to hear about your your dad um it's just it's just an amazing transformation i can't think of a a, another word to (laughs) to describe that um i know that and it sounds like because of what you have experienced the 2361 nonprofit is very very close to your heart uh, can you tell us more about that organization? Sure. So the name 2361, a lot of people ask us what that means. 23 is the 23rd book of the Bible, which is Isaiah and chapter 61. And that passage talks about how God brings people out of the wilderness, out of the darkness of their past traumas and brings them into healing and brings them joy instead of mourning, beauty instead of ashes. And, um, praise instead of despair. So that's basically what we do. And that we, we wanted to name our organization off of that scripture because that's our foundation. So we have three facets of what we do. We have post-abortion healing for women and men. And then we have what we call redeeming sexuality, which um, includes healing from sexual traumas, but also recovery from pornography and love addictions and then also sexual risk avoidance education for youth, um, middle school and high school age. And then our third component is community awareness, where we have a panel of our um, volunteers and people, part of our organization that will go out and speak to a church group, a college group, um, whoever wants, invites us to come and speak and we share our stories. And we share who we are and what we do and how our transformation um, and sharing that transformation can help others learn that there is this need for healing in the community, also that it's available and also that it's possible. It's very scary, but it's possible. We've done it and you can do it too and you can help others do it too. That's a a lot. How How many people are part of this process? Um, our team has about 15 to 20 volunteers. Um, it's it, The number kind of is in and out because people who, who are volunteers, um, you know, life ha- happens, family happens, they mm-hmm. might stay away for a little while and then come back. And then we have new people joining us on a regular basis. So it's, it's around 15 to 20, maybe 22 
people. Okay. That's that's quite a bit though to to navigate and to delegate to and to um, train because it's such a sensitive area for so many people. Yeah. Um, what have you found? Oh, go ahead. We've become quite a family of of ministry uh, people. That the fifteen to twenty to twenty two of us, because of the the depth of the work that we do together, we've grown to know each other so much over the years. We've seen each other's transformations, and we've seen not just our initial transformation, but how that continues over the years. It's not just a one and done. It's a constant transformation. And we see, we observe that in each other and encourage that in each other, that we're not done growing, we continue to grow. And that's also how we help our clients to not just heal from one thing, but continue to heal. And it's an ongoing process. Exactly. Um, what, what have you found to be the biggest influencers in helping people share about their trauma? Um, I guess what I mean by that is what helps people kind of unload that? Like you mentioned before, you maybe wouldn't have not shared your story if somebody had not shared their story first. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that fear and shame and isolation keeps people from sharing for years and decades even. So our, our vulnerability, our transparency and sharing our stories is what allows people to come forward and say, well, yeah, I've done that too. I've been that, too. I've been there too. And it allows people to trust us and know that we don't judge, we don't condemn. We know what you've been through, not just the experience, but we know the emotions um, that go along with that too. So uh, us sharing our stories first is the most important part. And then also we, we create a safe environment by providing, establishing some group rules um, with, within a group situation and making sure everyone understands and agrees to those group rules. And that um, also as we share, so some of those group rules are confidentiality. That's one of the biggest ones. Also no um, emotional or spiritual rescuing. So if somebody is crying, we teach our, our volunteers, don't pat them on the back, don't hand them a Kleenex, let the emotions come up because that's what needs to happen and this is a safe place for that to happen. So we have um, um, our vulnerability and then our group rules is the biggest, um, biggest way to allow people to, to start coming forward um, and move past those fears and that shame and that isolation. Mm -hmm. When a person first comes to a, to a group, do you go through that all again? The, or do you do that at every meeting, even if there's not a new person present? You, do you discuss the, the group rules, um, the safety aspect, the confidentiality, or you know, what can a person expect that first visit? Yeah, so the first visit is where we really um, are very specific and de deliberate in establishing those group rules sharing our stories and inviting them to share just a little bit at the beginning so they can um, test the waters and practice that it's and you do have to practice sharing your story because it's first it comes out very jumbled but then over the the course of a, a healing program our bible studies some are 10 weeks some are nine months um, they're different varying lengths but we practice that on an ongoing basis so we establish the group rules in the first meeting but then if they need to be brought up and uh, that we need to remind the group, then we'll remind them. 
But if things are going great, we're, we don't have to keep reestablishing the rules. Okay. Each, each little group becomes kind of like a family too. And a lot of them stay connected even when the group ends and continue that relationship in that community afterwards as well. So you mentioned that some groups are a few weeks and then some are nine months. Uh, is, it, is it an entry point? Like people come in at a starting point and everybody comes in together or can people join a group in the middle of the program? We try to have uh, new people only come the first few weeks because we do establish that safety and that trust and um, it's hard to break that, bringing new people in, and it's hard to kind of infiltrate that when a new person comes mm -hmm. in. So we, although it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis, if someone new comes along, we ask the group first if they feel comfortable with a new person joining. And if they don't, then we ask that person to wait till the next group. But if they do feel comfortable, then we reestablish the group rules. We repractice the little bits of sharing so that person can experience what they did that first few weeks. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because sometimes when you're in a group and a small family like that and you've connected, you already have a history. So it would be a little challenging, I think, for a new person coming into the middle of that. Yeah. Uh, how often are you running some of the shorter term groups? It's hard to say. We don't, we don't just um, start a group just to start one. We, we really wait to start a group until people have come to us with that need. So it depends on how often people are coming to us with the need and, and starting new groups. And then if enough new people come along where the group has already started and they're, they're going strong, we don't want to interrupt that, then we'll start another new one. So currently we have one of the longer groups for women going and we have two of the longer groups for men going and we have three of the shorter groups for men going and uh, we have three retreats scheduled throughout this year so are retreats open to men and women or are they exclusive to gender or uh, certain traumatic experience or theme you know how would you describe a, a retreat the retreats are specifically for post-abortion healing all of our Bible studies cover all the other topics that we that we cover, but the retreat is specifically for post-abortion healing, and it is open to women and men. So if there's only women that are in attendance, we only have women on our team leading it. But if men attend the retreat, then we have men join us on our team so that we have men to lead the men. But then the group sessions are co-ed together. Okay. That's great. I think I think it's really important, too, that we that you and your groups are both men and women because a lot of times I think with that topic there might be an assumption that it's women only oh, and, yeah. and that's not that's not always the case so I think that's that's awesome that it's open to both yeah um, when the men come for the retreat sometimes it's scary especially at the beginning of the weekend and people are a little bit apprehensive but then they get to hear the um, the viewpoint of that other sex than theirs and they they realize wow i'd had no idea men felt this way or meant the men think i have no idea women felt this way or experienced that type of emotion so they really learn a lot from each other i, I can imagine um, the subject content of abortion and sexual trauma are, are very deep and personal how do you create icebreakers to help the group connect and trust each other it's, it's such a heavy and weighty topic 
Um, how, how do you do that? Sure. Well, um, like I said, first of all, we share our stories and we're very transparent and open. So that lets them know, first of all, we know what you've been through, um, the situation and the emotions behind it. We don't judge you. We don't condemn you. We love you. Um, and then we give them the opportunity to share just a little bit. And surprisingly, they oftentimes will share quite a bit that first session because we've shared so much. But then also we do some fun things like some group uh, problem solving um, practices. And then we do sometimes uh, ma magazine collages. So we put together a collage of where you are right now. Just make a picture of what your story looks like now at the beginning of the, of the session. And then at the end of the study, whether it's 10 weeks later or nine months later, we do a second collage that shows what your, what your life looks like now. And then they look back to that first picture and they can see the difference. That's pretty cool because a lot of people would, I would think be very open to looking at a magazine and cause it's not them. Yeah. You know, they're, they're pulling things out of something else. And that's a really cool way I think for people to share. Um, without divulging personal details, can you share one to two stories about people who have been really impacted uh, positively from 2361? Sure. Uh, so we had this one woman who came to our retreat many years ago. And when she first called me and um, was registering for the retreat, she asked me if she could bring her um, anxiety service animal to the retreat for the entire weekend. And I, I, I was pretty sure that the retreat center would say no to that, but I still asked anyway, just in case. And they did say no, that she could not bring her service animal, but she bravely came anyway and um, trusted the process, trusted us as we you know, made it a safe environment, shared our stories, and was able to stay the entire weekend. And then six months later, she was able to get off of all of her anxiety medications. And all these years later, she's still off of them. And she also came back to the retreat a year later with a friend to help and support her through healing. So that was a huge success story for her. That is amazing. What a, what a great testimony for, for the group, but also just for that person that, to feel empowered like that. Yeah. And then we had another woman. Um, we do our Bible studies in the prison here in Union Grove. So we had a woman in the prison once who, at the end of the study, she said, I finally get it. I finally get what, where it all started, why I started drinking so heavily and getting the DUIs, which led to her imprisonment. She said it, was, it started with my abortion. I didn't drink but before that. I drank after that. And that just kind of snowballed into all these other high-risk behaviors and getting imprisoned and then making that connection and having that realization. She said, now I know I can stay sober and I can, when I leave here, I can live a, a healthy and, and joy-filled life. That's really cool too. I mean, just to have that breakthrough and that revelation of what was the cause. Uh, so many things that, you know, as a physical therapist, people come to me with physical issues and it's my job to help find out what the physical cause of their symptoms are. In a group like yours, to be able to find the cause of a problem so that they don't keep repeating the behavior, that's just life-changing. It is. It's how cool, it, how that cool is that to watch? It's <laughs> amazing to watch. I have the best <laughs> in the house. <laughs> I bet there are a lot of joyful tears shed, you know, as this process goes along. You know, when you mentioned a lot of people open up on that first 
um, session because the leaders are sharing their stories, it almost sounds like they're waiting to share. Oh, yeah. And they just have it all sunk down and hidden. Yeah. And when they see that it's safe, mm-hmm. then they can kind of start to let go of it. Yeah. So many of our clients have been holding all this in for so long and they stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and just kind of drudge along. And then usually when they come to us, it's because something has triggered and brought all of that up. And now it's like, it's ready to bubble out, but they, you know, they're looking for that safe place to do that. And now they found it. And then it just kind of, just kind of pours out. Very, very cool. I'm, I'm so proud to know you and to know what you're doing because I can pass information along. You know, there are women who come in and I'm sure there are men that not always as open in a physical therapy session to say something, but I see quite a few women who have shared some trauma. And so to be able to utilize you as a resource for my, my patients is super helpful. Where can people who are listening today uh, learn more about you, uh, 2361, and be able to connect and, and find you and find out when the next uh, group or retreat is? Sure. So we have a website. It's 2361.com. So it's the words 23 spelled out, then the number 61, then .com. And then we also have a Facebook page. So it's facebook.com slash 23, the words spelled out, the number 61. Then we also have a um, newsletter that we send out a couple times a year. So if they can get on our uh, mailing list for that. Also, we have um, when we go out into the public, we have literature and brochures that we can, that we hand out. And I can also email the digital copies of those brochures. And so our we have a retreat brochure that has the dates of all of our retreats for the whole year set. So our next retreat is March 13th through 15th. That's an English retreat. And then we have a Spanish retreat in May which is May 15th through 17th. And then our third retreat in English is November 6th through 8th. And those are all out in Williams Bay uh, on Lake Geneva, beautiful property, beautiful place for healing. Um, And then we have an event in April that we started, this will be our fourth year doing this. It's our annual um, We Remember Memorial Hike and Conference. So we remember, we memorialize the babies that have been lost to abortion. Um, We hike and um, do like a memorial service for the babies. We paint rocks that people can uh, custom order with either a child's name on them or just an image like baby feet or a flower or a heart. And then they can have a a Bible verse on them or the baby's name or a little phrase or saying. And they can carry the rocks with them for the, the hike and the memorial service. And then they get to keep those and take them home. But then we also have speakers that come. We've had Jason Jones um, Linda Cochran's the author of our Bible studies. Dr. Teresa Burke is the founder of the retreat that we do, the Rachel's Vineyard Retreat. This year, we're going to have Vicki Thorne, who is the founder of Project Rachel. It's set different from the retreat, um, but she's local here in Milwaukee, and she's going to share a lot about you know, the biology of the theology of the Bible, um, which is, is a mouthful and a handful to explain, so I'll let people come to our website to learn more <laughs> Great. Well, this has been a wonderful, wonderful uh, interview because I think it's just so helpful for women who have experienced trauma, whether post-abortive, sexual trauma, and for men too, uh, who have experienced these. And then of course, you you mentioned the pornography um, side of things as well. 
and and that's that addiction you know people don't always associate it with an addiction so to learn that there's a group for that's that's encompassing all of that yeah. and there's a resource available here locally um is is great and for people who might be listening who aren't local it's okay for them to go check this information out because they can um, get to the tools that they need as well from the website and then potentially come to a retreat even though they're not local correct yeah we've had people come to our retreat from minnesota iowa illinois a couple almost came from canada once but there's also rachel's vineyards all over the country and all over the world so they can go on the rachel's vineyard website and find the retreat that's closest to them as well Okay, great. Great. Well, it's been, it has been just, um, I think, very educational to learn about what 2361 is doing. And I really, I really like just those three areas, the post-abortive healing, the redeeming sexuality, the sexual risk education for youth. I, I think that's often um, not talked about until it's too late. <laughs> um, and then the community awareness side of things. Um, as well. So the organization is just doing a lot for the community and then for people one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to share about 2361 um, before we end today? Sure. Um, well, just kind of an awareness and knowing that one in three women by the time they're age 45 will have had an abortion, which is a huge number. So if you I did not know that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you don't yet know a family or friend member, family member or friend who has had an abortion, it's probably just because they haven't had that courage to share with you yet. So some tips on how to watch for that and be aware. Um, if the topic of abortion comes up, watch for the body language, watch for the eyes to get big, watch for someone to get angry or sad or quiet or loud or leave the room. And then wait until you know you're alone with that person and and just kind of mention that i i noticed that you had some reaction to the topic um is there you know would you like to talk about it i know a group um, that can help if you have been there or if you know someone who's been there sometimes it's not them that's had the abortion sometimes it's you know if it's a man it could be their girlfriend or past girlfriend or their wife or if it's a mom it could be her daughter who had an abortion so um so many people are affected by one person's abortion so just mm -hmm. kind of be aware, know how to watch for those cues and how to talk about it. And also when you have the opportunity to talk about it and you can encourage them to go get healing, encourage is a very important word. You can't force someone to get healing. It has to be, they have to be ready for it. It has to be God's timing for their healing. Um, and if you try to force someone, they're going to shut down and you're not going to have that opportunity to continue the conversation. So just take it slow. Let them know you're there. You're, you're, shoulder to lean on, you're open ear to listen, and that you don't judge or condemn them, but you love them and you just want to help them. Those are great tips for people who can be a little bit more insightful when they're seeing somebody have a response or reaction to something that they really weren't expecting. Yeah. Um, please go ahead to the, to the listeners, please go ahead and check out 2361 dot com and also check out the Facebook page and if you want to go ahead and follow that and I'm sure you can sign up for the newsletter like Donna mentioned until next time be bold be beautiful and be you thank you so much for joining today's episode of the mom chief of everything podcast with Dr. Jeanette DeWitt 
If you liked what you heard today and want to get more connected with other moms who are chief of everything, then please visit the Facebook group Mom COE to request to join. I would love to welcome you to an amazing group of moms just like you. You can also connect with me on YouTube by subscribing to my channel. Just search for Jeanette DeWitt. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Be bold, be beautiful, be you.